All right, welcome to the Rekindling Ministries podcast series. We are uh, in Season 1, Episode 1.07. Today we're talking about the concept known as Muddy Fields. Mm -hmm. My name is Shannon Kirkpatrick, and I am the Director of Rekindling Ministries. And my name is Zach Rios, and I am a student at Liberty University studying youth ministry as my major and pastoral leadership as my minor. And as always, Zach, can you give us a quick recap of the previous episode when we discussed flight, fight, persevere? I would love to. So what we were discussing with that concept is the idea that there are three main responses that we can have to situations that we're in. We can fight, we can flight or flee, Mm -hmm. or we can persevere. Um, And the goal of fighting is we want to stop the bad that's going on. Mm -hmm. So we're actively working to stop whatever that is. With fleeing, we are trying to get away from the bad. So the bad is still going to continue happening, but we ourselves are removed from that situation. And then we also talked about persevering, which we said is the biblical, just what we should be starting with unless we're guided to go to one of the other options. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea of sitting and letting the bad happen to you, but growing from it. Mm -hmm. And so... If you want to hear more about that, you can go back and listen to 1.06 and just some of the other lesson or lenses. lenses that we've talked about. We've talked about the seven stage journey, uh, sweet and sour, eternal, internal, external, be, do, have, and then also spectrum. Mm-hmm. And those are in episodes 1.01 through 1.05. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that, that flight, fight, persevere, it's an uncomfortable lens. Mm. Um, the assertive people like to fight and the passive people like to flee, sure. but the answer generally is to persevere. Uh, it's only occasionally that God may actually, or less, he calls us to fight or flee less than we think. Sure. So, all right, so now we're moving into the muddy fields, and as you're listening, I would say take a deep breath because <laughs> um, we're, we're going to go on a, an adventure here with this one. <laughs> when I was prepping for this, you guys know this is probably the thing I'm most passionate about mm. is sin, and... The, the, the body of Christ's response to it yeah. uh, and trying to do that biblically, mm-hmm. not just traditionally. And, you know, what is sin and, and all that. And so putting together the notes, I'm like, this is going to be like a two or three hour podcast, you know. <laughs> and we just, you know, we're ha- in, in the unpacking groups that we do locally. We mm-hmm. just finished part one of the evil and sin study. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do part two coming up. Uh, and so it's already all fresh in my mind. I put all this information together, you know, and we talked about it. And we realized, you know what, when we do, when we start the unpacking season and yeah. we get into the evil and sin, it's probably going to be a multiple episode issue as, as we wrestle through all that. Yeah. I don't need to explain all of that, that now. The, the, the Muddy Fields concept, it, it helps to have some understanding about sin. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to touch on a couple points on that. But I realize I don't need to go into all the details. I just, I really want to get to the Muddy Field concept itself. Yeah. So buckle down, you know, <laughs> as we go through this. And, and I, and I want to warn people, this is, this is different than mm-hmm. a lot of times what we've been taught. But it's something that I'm passionate about. And, and I really am trying to be as true to the scripture as I can. Yeah. And, and in the last 10 years, as I wrestled through this, this is the picture that begins to be painted. And it's different, but it's powerful. Hmm. Um, and so what, what I'll say right from the beginning is I definitely take a more moderate approach uh, to sin. Okay. And going back to Spectrum, if you're an all or nothing type person and we're used to more of that hardcore, you know, even like legalistic, conservative approach to mm-hmm. sin, and all of a sudden here comes a moderate, I, I can get pegged as liberal, as I'm liberal towards sin, I'm condoning it. I don't condone sin mm-hmm. in, in, in any shape or form. Sin is something that, you know, falls outside of God's parameters. We'll talk about that. And, I, and one of my goals is to reduce the sin in my life. Yeah. So I can encourage to, to others to reduce the sin in their life. 
Uh, and what I really believe is it's taking a moderate approach is actually what gives you the mindset and the hard set to do that. Hmm. That if you take a hypercritical approach or you see, you see sin as critical, it, there's a nervousness, there's a legalism, there's a pressure. And so now you're almost inflexible and it, it just, you're brittle and, and you keep making more mistakes. And there's a focus on the sin. And there's a focus on the sin. Yeah. Where if you take this more moderate approach and you see it as very serious, mm-hmm no longer critical because of the death and again, rabbit trail and all these things uh, of Christ's death. But, um, I really feel it's the relaxed approach that allows you to actually, you know, handle it better. Mm. So anyways, a couple points to make before I get into the muddy field concept. The first one is what, what, so what is sin? What is the definition of evil and sin? And, and there's a whole bunch of stuff I'd want to go through that. But in the end the little short phrase that I give is sin is primarily a turning away from God and his good plans, Mm -hmm. and secondarily, a turning to something else. And so uh, Jeremiah 2.16 in the New American Version, it says, For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Mm -hmm. The Holman Christian Version states it as, For my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. Mm. And so when we're drawing this out visually, you know, you guys have seen it. We draw out uh, this this awesome, glowing, glorious picture of God and all his grandeur and his majesty and his goodness and this this fountain that he's standing in. And so when you choose to believe in him and you come to him and and, and you're leaning on him and you're hugging him and you're walking in this fountain, you're experiencing all these good things, that's Mm -hmm. great, right? On, on just on the outside. So imagine you you kind of draw out a fountain with God there in the middle of it all. Yeah. And then along the edge of the fountain, there's a whole bunch of buckets. And these are buckets of slop, right? Mm. And so each bucket of slop would represent what we would typically call sins. So lust, theft, murder, you know, et cetera. Sure. And, and so a lot of times we think when we sin, it's just dining from that bucket. It's so much more than that. Mm. We're dining from that bucket because we're hungry and we're, and we're not turning to God. And so the, the, that double sin, the two-part sin, was primarily is we're not hugging him and we're not drinking this fountain water that he's given us. And instead we're leaning and we're still, we're still a believer just because you sin doesn't mean, you know, you've lost your salvation. Yeah. So you still confess Christ as Lord, but you're going over to the edge of the fountain and then you're dipping from that, that bucket. Uh, of slop of, of whatever that you know that, that evil is yeah and so there's a whole lot more when we do the the actual unpacking that i'll give more to that analogy mm-hmm. but that's just what we want to keep in mind that so sin is a primarily a turning from god and secondarily turning to uh, something, something else, else. And, I, and i really like the way that, that jeremiah 216 uh puts it um the other thing i'll say about sin is so remember earlier this fall we did the good and e- uh, we started the good study you know and then we moved to the evil study yeah. and and the good there's four different definitions to good biblically but the the latter two are uh, beneficial it, it's it's um, something with worth something that's pleasing something that's beneficial and then something that's straight mm-hmm. or within God's parameters and so conversely evil is, has the same four part definition it could be something worthless uh, it could be something displeasing yeah. something detrimental. Uh, or harmful to well-being, uh, or something crooked that falls outside God's parameters, right? Yeah. And so one of the key, key things to me, because, you know, again, growing up, I think I would if I'd asked anybody, why am I not supposed to sin? The answer would have been because God says so. 
And that, you know, again, me being yeah. me, that it wouldn't really set well. Like, so, you know, I mean, I understand who God is, but it seems to be more than that. Mm-hmm. And so in the last couple of years, realizing that when God gives a commandment to go do this or go be this, um, that commandment is beneficial mm-hmm. to your well-being or somebody else's. And because yeah. he loves you, that's why he's commanding you to do it. And when he gives a prohibition, it's because it's detrimental or harmful to your well-being or somebody else's. Mm-hmm. And so that made a whole lot more sense to me. That yeah, I mean, he is sovereign and you have to obey him because he's, he's the creator of God. But it added another level of depth to that, that, okay, God, so these sins, they're sins because they're detrimental to my well-being or, or somebody else's. And that just made more sense to me. Yeah, and we don't want to chase this rabbit trail too far, but I think or it's we also— do, but we won't. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's important, I think, to recognize the fact that Christianity can be seen as just this list of rules that you're supposed to follow. Right. And it's just— um, this guy in the sky that's sitting down with his rule book, seeing where you mess up so he can strike you down, and he's just trying to limit all your fun. But that's really not the picture of Christianity Mm-mm. that the Bible paints. Correct. Um, Paul, in the book of Galatians, tells the believers that they need to stop going back to legalism and stop going back to, mm-hmm. back to the law because now we're in Christ. And so it's... Um, I really do want to flesh this out more and we're going to when we get to that other study that we've been referring to um, that's going to be coming sometime in the future. But right. uh, just really having an understanding that Christianity is not about just changing the things you're doing or following some set list of rules. It really is just staying in the fountain, um, hugging God and just doing that sort of thing. Yeah. So if love and obedience and goodness is all about dancing with God, you know, in a relationship with him mm-hmm. and experiencing all these good and beneficial things, then sin is rejecting that in the moment and it's turning to detrimental things, yeah. right? So that's that's one thing, just kind of understanding, getting it to a definition of what sin is uh, and why sin is sin. Second thing is, what does sin result in? And so we were going through the unpacking, and this was just really helpful for me, mm-hmm. just getting to see all this. And so there were many different things that we read, but I, I saw there's kind of four categories here of if I if I sin, if I turn away from God and turn to something that's detrimental to me or others, yeah. uh, something that falls outside his parameters, uh, what does it result in? And so there's four things that it, it can result in. First, when I sin, it can prevent other goods from happening. So, for example, I passionately believe that when you sin, God doesn't pull away from you because he's with you always to the very end of the age, never leaves you nor forsakes you. Hmm. Um, and so he's, he's still, we'll get into some more of that later. But um, he's always there with you. Yeah. So when you sin, it doesn't cost you your salvation, doesn't cost you your relationship with him. It does cost intimacy. Hmm. That, 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 that sin creates static you know, on, on the channel between you and God. And so it prevents a clear channel. Mm-hmm. It prevents the static. Uh, or I'm sorry, creates static and prevents some of that intimacy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it can also prevent peace and joy. And so, and I know this from firsthand experience that, w- that when I'm, when I'm sinning, mm-hmm. when I'm, you know, turning away and turning to something else that I have less joy and less peace in my life. Right. Yeah. So, so one thing that sin results in is a prevention of other goods. A second thing that sin results in is pleasure. And this is something that I really want us to sit and, and, and come to grips with. It's why we do it. Yeah. Because that, that bucket of slop, we're not, you know, around the fountain there, mm-hmm. we're not going to eat a bucket of slop that we think is nasty. It's true. We're going to eat one that we're pleased with. And so we all have, you know, certain sins that we're more drawn to and certain sins that we're less drawn to. And so when we do the sins that we do, we do it because it's, it's pleasing. Mm-hmm. So you have, you know, all your, your sexual 
immorality sins. Um, and it's there's very pleasing to sleep with multiple people, right, rather mm-hmm. than just, just the one partner that, that, that God intended. Um, gossiping, you know, or, or complaining, yeah. or bitterness, you know, th- these are all things that we're commanded not to do. They're all sins. But when we do that, we feel better about ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a flesh sense. And so we really want to be honest that we do the sin that we do because it's pleasing. Uh, it doesn't make it right, yeah. but we want to be honest about that. So, so it can um, prevent other goods from happening, and it can be pleasing. And just going off of that a little bit, I think it's important to recognize that it's pleasing because then you can actually begin to work past the pleasure that it gives you. Yeah. Because if you are sitting here and you're saying, well, no, that whatever that sin that I'm struggling with, it's just bad. It's just bad. I shouldn't do it. Shouldn't do it. Shouldn't do it. It's bad. You can tell yourself that, but it won't. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're not recognizing the fact that you actually want to do whatever that thing is mm-hmm. because you enjoy doing that, mm-hmm. you'll never actually get to the point where you can start moving past that because once you start having temptation to do it and then you start, it's just like, oh, th- this is, wait, I, I thought this was just going to be bad. This is great. What are you talking about? Right. Your and, flesh is like, feed me more. Yeah. And so when you're actually in a spot where you say, no, I actually enjoy doing this, but what I need to be doing is I need to be enjoying Christ more and turning to him instead, yes. then you can actually begin to work through things. And so this is where that moderate thing comes up. This is where spectrum comes up again, that if we have a society telling us if it feels good, it must be right. Mm-hmm. So then we go to the opposite and we say, no, it doesn't feel good. Well, that's a lie. <laughs> you know? yeah. Of course it feels good. That's why, that's why, we, why we do it. So again, it doesn't make it right, but we're, we're recognizing that. Mm-hmm. The third thing that sin can result in is a spiraling down. So sin begets sin. Yeah. And so a lot of times, you know, a foot in the door. So, you know, you, you steal a 50 cent candy, um, which I did once when I was a kid. Mom was mortified. <laughs> um, but then that can lead to, well, then what's, what's the big deal about uh, a $2 book, you know, comic book or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and not just the same sin, but I just, I, I know again, personally in my life that if I'm uh, sinning a bunch in some area, a lot of times it just plays over in other areas. Mm-hmm. And if I don't head it off at the pass, if I don't be intentional about this, it's just going to keep spiraling down and I'm going to get, I'm going to get in a darker and darker place. We see this with, with, with drug addictions and, you know, yeah. all this kind of thing. So it can spiral down. The fourth thing is that eventually it could lead to death, um, at the very least spiritual death, if not physical death. So you have, you know, for the wages of, of sin is death. And, and it, it makes sense given that, you know, God wants this uh, holiness and all, all that we get into, into it and that. But the key thing for me on this fourth one mm-hmm. is the cross. And I really do believe that God, that Christ became sin for us. Yeah. So he took all my sin off of me and he died on the cross to atone and pay for that sin. So my record is now clean. We, we see this in, in Psalm 51, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, and so I don't need to worry about it anymore. And so I no longer have the fear of death yeah. uh, because I'm a believer, because I joined Jesus's boat uh, and, I, and I've confessed him as Lord and master. And so he, and I recognize his death for me. And so he's atoned for all that. So I recognize that all four of those things combined make sin a critical problem. It prevents other goods. It is pleasurable. It's why we do it. Mm-hmm. But it can cause you just to continue to spiral down, if not kept in check, uh, eventually leading to death. That's yeah. a critical thing. It is. But as a believer, because of the cross, and it's paid in full, it is finished, it's mm-hmm. done, then the fourth thing is now off for me. It's now been covered. Yeah. The other three still exist. So God's still like, Shannon, um, sin will still prevent 
it, it won't cause you death because you have life in me now. Yeah. But it will cause you um, to prevent other good from happening. It is ple- It will be pleasurable. You know, is why you do it. Yeah. And, it, and it will allow you to keep spiraling down in this dark circle. And so I recognize that sin is no longer critical because of the cross, but it's still very serious. Uh, and I, and I want to address it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think it's important also just to mention that that offer is open to everyone. Just True, yes. to have um, your sins forgiven and to just put your faith in Christ to become your Lord, join the boat, uh, then you don't have to be worrying about where you're going to spend eternity and you can actually begin to really grow in intimacy with Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's not something, again, like I was saying, it's not going to be stifling the things that you want to do. It is going to say, hey, you need to not follow your flesh. But it also is going to result in just a, a flourishing that you've never experienced before. Oh, man, yeah. And that's so much more I want to say on that, too. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to stay succinct with this. So so you have, you know, I want us to talk a little bit about what is sin mm-hmm. and what does it result in. The third thing I want to say before we get into the Muddy Fields concept is just the response to sin. This goes back to what I was saying earlier yeah. uh, about... Uh, I really, I do take this moderate, serious approach mm-hmm. rather than this conservative, critical approach only because I believe that's the picture that the Bible paints and it's actually more effective. Yeah. Um, so another little analogy that I can give you this, and this had helped me out a couple of years ago. Imagine you have a, a big dining room table and it has the sleeve you know, in, in the middle. Okay. And so in, when family comes over, you put the sleeve in. But normally you have the sleeve out, and so the, the table, the two sides have come in. Yeah. And there's it's still three sections to the table. There's the two big sections, and then there's that middle, like, crack yeah. right, in between. And so what I believe is a lot of times, because people don't always hold a spectrum, they think more black and white, they look at this table, and when it comes to sin, there's two options. You either condemn it or you condone it. Hmm. You know, you either say it's wrong judged with death, et cetera, or it's um, condoning and there is no such thing as sin, go do what you want to do. Sure. And I've long just felt really confused and torn because I didn't like either of those options. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the Bible would say it's it's neither. And I know people are going to push back on that, but I just I knew there was like a third middle ground. And so I started to realize maybe there's a, 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 there isn't just these two. Maybe there's this middle ground in between this this balance, this temperance, you know, again, spectrum kind of thing mm-hmm. of where we're supposed to actually be at. And, 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 the, and the Bible would seem to keep hinting at what was down that that in that crack. And, uh, you know, the, the um, uh, what's the, the, the rabbit hole. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and, and there's just something down there. And so I realized that there was this this crack. There was a third middle option. And this is an option of patience and grace and forgiveness and love and all these other things. And so I thought, you know, it's, but it's not just a sliver. You actually, when you go down in that crack, you get to open up under the table. And it's this whole huge, awesome paradise mm-hmm. of how to handle sin. Yeah. And you're not condemning it. You you allow God to, to, to deal with the judgment. But you're also not condoning it because, again, God commands us not to, to pursue these detrimental things. Yeah. And so so the more that I've explored it, I've realized it opens up a whole world to me hmm. of what, what patience looks like in response to sin and things like that. And so we'll get more into that when we do the unpacking session but i just wanted to touch on it that i have moved to this 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 moderate middle temperate stage that i found myself more relaxed and better able to handle the sin in my life and ironically you know i always thought that i had to take the super hyper conservative legalistic condemning approach to to sin because if i don't i'm gonna go to the condoning Hmm. You know, if you imagine a, a seesaw or teeter totter, you know, in, in the yeah. playground. And so if I'm leaning to one side, 
and it's really hard to actually balance. And so mm-hmm. naturally you just, you overcorrect and you go to the other side. Yeah. And there can be that. There absolutely can be For when sure. you move away from legalism that you move to condoning. But the idea is, okay, fine. Here's the thing. It's not worse. They're both off limits for us. <laughs> so either way, you're not supposed to be there. And so if you lean over to, the, to the, the condoning side, then you balance back a little bit more to the conservative, then back a little more to the liberal. And you kind of keep going back and forth until you get that temperate, patient, gracious type of thing, which is what we're getting into with this concept. Yeah. And I just want to explain the hand motions that oh, were going yeah, yeah, on yeah, right yeah. there that you guys couldn't see, but I could. And I enjoyed, there was a lot of teeter tottering and then a leveling out with arms. Yeah. Um, just wanted to give you guys a little There's taste no into the studio. Doing that, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so anyways, I just, so my, uh, we have, you know, what is sin and, and what does it result in? And then what's the attitude or response to it? Mm-hmm. And we're going to come back to this once I give the, the muddy field concept, yep. but at least, at least wanted to, to, to touch on that. And I know this is something, one more thing I'll say on this. This has been like 10 years in the making for me, hmm. you know, of me just chewing a little bit on this verse and on this passage and coming back to what that Greek word or Hebrew word means and how this other context, other passage plays into it, et cetera. Yeah. And I've slowly come around to this and I find it exhilarating. I find it biblical. Again, I find it effective that I'm, I'm, I'm I still sin every day, but I'm sinning less now than I did in the past. And I get really excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to share it with people and I want them to do it as well. But yeah. I understand it took me years of just chewing and processing. Because, you know, again, I grew up in a, 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 the Nazarene denomination is a little more legalistic at times mm-hmm. um, and that perfectionism and, 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 and that kind of thing. And so it was hard for me to let go of that. And I think the American church in general, um, depending on the de- denomination, can get really con- condemning and critical of sin. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's going to be hard to let go of that because that fear is, oh, you're telling me to go condone. No, 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 no. <laughs> that, that's still a bucket of slop. I don't want you to turn into. I don't, I don't want to turn to. Mm. Um, but I, I'm changing my attitude and my approach to it all, right? Yeah. So having said all that, and I, one more thing with that, Psalm 51. Um, I just had my church had asked me to put together a little um, devotion on on Psalm fifty one, yeah. and they said um, just you know like two or three chapter or two or three paragraphs on on the on the, on the chapter or, and, and what it, what it means in application. Mm-hmm. and application. I laughed, you know, I'm like I don't think I've ever <laughs> written two or three paragraphs in my life, and uh, and sure enough, it was. Uh, Two full pages, you know, uh, and I wanted to do even more, and so I, I have to, I have to slim it down still. So there's still a lot to do with this, but so, so Psalm 51 is fresh in my mind. Mm-hmm. But what was fascinating to me, and rather than like walking you through 30 minutes of this, I'm just going to kind of highlight the summary of it all. Sure. Um, we see, we see David do a couple things. One, you know, and Psalm 51 is written just after the prophet Nathan calls him out on Bathsheba, mm-hmm. right? So he's committed an affair. He's he's been deceitful about it, and then he set up mur- the murder of the husband, right? This is a, this is a really atrocious thing yeah so one thing is he humbly fully admits his wicked rebellion so in a couple different verses throughout that chapter he talks about i rebelled against you you know i've sinned against you he does not um downplay it in any shape or form mm-hmm. he you know and we see this in back in in second samuel when nathan first you know kind of tricked him with that there's a guy with a sheep and all that kind of thing oh kill the guy that guy's you yeah um and he immediately just you know got convicted and and repented of it so so one thing we see david do is he fully humbly admits his wicked rebellion he doesn't he doesn't um sugarcoat it in any shape or form second thing he does is he is he reminds himself of his god's affection for him this is one thing i'm jealous of david wow. you know man after god's own heart they just had a really amazing relationship so he sits there and he fully admits his wicked rebellion but then he reminds himself of how deep the affection is that his god has for him wow. and so what that means is he realizes he goes god don't leave me and he knows that god won't 
Um, God's not going to step away because of this horrible sin that he just did. He's mm-hmm. going to stay right there. Then he moves into this bold thing and says, God, can you go ahead and just remove that off my record? You know, I fully admit it was wrong, fully admit the rebellion, but I know your affection for me is crazy deep, and I know your affection is going to lead you to do this. Can you go ahead and just erase it and actually remember it no more as if it never happened? That's that's bold, yeah, right? And God does it. He blots out our sins. He erases them. He remembers them no more as far as the east is from the west. He's removed them. It's, 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 it's insane. Um, and then fourth, he asked God to repair him because he realized he was broken and he did broken things. And so he says, you know, renew that steadfast spirit in me. Can you make me trustworthy again? And he realizes two of the things that are going to help him become more trustworthy are wisdom and joy. Hmm. Um, and so what happens, this is a cool little thing here, is that if, so when you sin, the first thing you need to do is just confess to God and acknowledge that you just did this wicked rebellion. And there's no ranking of sin. It's all wicked rebellion, right? Mm-hmm. And so you've just committed this wicked rebellion, whatever the sin is. But then second, remind yourself of the deep affection your God has for you and that he's not going to leave you. You know, we're, we're kind of taught sometimes that when we sin, God has to pull away mm-hmm. because he's holy. Mm-hmm. And so he can't deal with sin. But that always confused me because I'm like, well, that means his holiness isn't very strong if, if sin would actually taint it. I don't believe in that kind of God. I, <laughs> yeah. I believe a God whose 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 holiness is is untaintable. It's unassailable. It's it's Teflon. So God can walk into the midst of a muddy field, which we'll get to here in a second, and the mud is thrown at him and it bounces off him. Doesn't stick. Doesn't it doesn't it taint or discolor his robe or his holiness at all. Hmm. So he's he's unaffected by sin in that way. So he doesn't need to leave it. You know, Jesus with the the prostitutes and the tax collectors and all, yeah. all the partiers, you know, sin all around him. You know, it's not going to affect his holiness. <laughs> and so that was really encouraging me to, to think about God that way. But anyways, um, and so so then he, so he goes, but God, you need to renew this steadfast spirit within me. I know that I need to step back up in this water walking, et cetera. And he knows that wisdom and joy are going to help him do that. So he's focused on what's next, not the sin that just happened. Mm-hmm. And so and so he knows wisdom, which comes from Scripture and from the fear of the Lord and that kind of deal. Yeah. Um, it's l- knowing the Bible. And then joy. This was so interesting to me. Um, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll cover this when we, when we finish the lens, but going back to that attitude of, you know, what, what we're looking at and, and pure and noble. Yeah. Um, but it just, it was very, and it was, well, I'll explain what this means in a moment, but it was really cool realizing that he recognized I need joy. So many of us, when we sin, we get into a guilt, the, the dark, the, the, the dark cloud, uh, over our heads. Sorry about that. Um, like, again, I was just using my hands and got, got <laughs> excited and hit the microphone. Um, but anyways, the, um, so we get, we get depressed. We feel like we're supposed to beat ourselves up, you know, over the sin. Yeah. He, he comes at it and he says, one, can you just go ahead and blot it out? Uh, as if it never happened. Hmm. Uh, and then two, can you go ahead and give me wisdom and joy and put me in a celebratory mood so that I have the strength that I need to resist the sin the next time? Wow. I mean, my mind is blown on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing he says is, and then once I'm doing that, I'll get to teach it to others. Wow. So that's, it's really encouraging for me. Yeah. Um, and, and it was my chance of, I want to do this. I want to always recognize the wicked rebellion that I do, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I also want to always remember God's deep affection for me and that he won't leave me. And that he has died for my sins. It's erased. It's gone. It's off the record. I don't need to worry about it anymore. Yeah. I do need to grow and transform and mature and get repaired and become trustworthy again. And two of the biggest ways to do that is wisdom, scripture, and joy. And, and like, wait a minute. I'm supposed to have joy as one of my responses to sin? Yes. Hmm. Not joy in the sin, 
But joy is something required for you to counter the next round of temptation. Yeah. So anyways, Psalm 51 is just is, is crazy. So any, any questions or comments on that? Yeah, I think one thing that it's just really interesting and something that I just want people to start thinking through is how instead of putting yourself into a guilt trip every time you sin, how your response to sin would change if you recognized, one, that God loves you, he hasn't left you, and he's not going to, Mm -hmm. and two, you don't have to go through a period of, woe is me, I messed up, oh man, what is this? I'm sorry. Oh, I keep on doing this thing. And how would your life personally change if you decided instead of going through that whole process, which all of us have done, Mm -hmm. um, instead of going through that saying, you know what? God loves me. Mm -hmm. And... (laughs) Wow. like It's just incredible the love that he has for me. And he wants me to get back up and keep going. It's almost as if... Love keeps no record of wrongs. Almost. Where have I read that? First, oh, it's somewhere in the that first church, Corinthians that thirteen. That in Corinth. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it's almost as if like love covers over a multitude of sins. Mm-hmm. I have read that somewhere, you know. Yeah. And so, and for me, like going yeah. comprehensively through Scripture, you start seeing all these passages. Like, oh, oh, okay, different, yep. different, but interesting, you know, and powerful and and scriptural. And let's keep going, right? Yeah. So, with all of that in our mind and on our heart. Now we can explain the muddy fields concept. Yep. So I so I gotta give a shout out to to Derek Darden. He's on my board for Rekindling Ministries, and and he's just this quiet guy. He's the yin to my yang, and just great relate. I love that guy. Great mm-hmm. relationship with him. And a couple of years ago, we were sitting down and we we're just kind of talking some of this stuff out. And he's more the quiet, reflective type, and I don't like silence, and so I just keep talking, <laughs> you know. Um, and he just adds this little insight. But but over a course of a couple hours, this muddy field concept developed. Okay. Mm. And so the idea is, so in this concept, the definitions, um, the, the, each muddy field represents a temptation, okay? Mm-hmm. So just like there are many of those buckets of slop around the fountain, imagine there's this huge, gigantic uh, countryside that's split up on all these individual muddy fields. Mm-hmm. And so each muddy field would represent one of those temptations that we're always thinking about. Yeah. Standing in the muddy field is being tempted by that sin, not necessarily sinning, falling down is the sin. Mm-hmm. So if you're not standing in the field, there's no temptation and there's no falling, there's no committing of it. Sure. So, but when you, but I, it's very important that we understand the difference between standing and falling in the muddy field. There's yeah. a difference between being tempted and uh, actually sinning. Mm-hmm. Two different things. I know I still feel guilty about my temptation. I don't need to feel guilty about my temptation. Yeah. Why? Because you're not actually sinning and there's grace covering that. Yeah, and Hebrews says Jesus was tempted in every way. Yeah. And and one little side note on that. I again I, I try to take the Bible literally, uh, unless it's telling you to take it, you know, figuratively. M- metaphorically. Um, and it says that he was tempted in every way. Hmm. So this is one of the things that just blows my mind about my King Jesus in these thirty, thirty three years that he lived on, on this planet as a human. Uh, he experienced every single one of those fields. He, again, he didn't sin in any of them because yeah. he was without sin, but he actually stepped into every single one of those. So he understands every single temptation so that he can relate with us. And something that I, I believe it was Francis Chan that I heard talking about this idea, but just saying that with Jesus's temptation, because um, I, I know a lot of times I've even thought, okay, well, he's tempted in every way. Well, yeah, without sin, well, that's okay. 
but he doesn't understand how strong the temptation is because mm. I understand how strong it is. Mm. That's why I sin. And he just made the point, no, no. He does understand exactly right. how hard he can do because he didn't sin. Right. Because the easy way to get out of temptation is to just sin. Once you're tempted, right. it gets yeah. hard, then you sin. But Jesus never did. And so he went the full duration of the temptation without sin. Yep. And so if you ever start having this mindset of, well, he doesn't really know. No. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. I mean, it just, and I, you know, my concept of Jesus has moved on from the long brown haired hippie Santa wearing guy. So much yeah. more than that. He's, yeah. he's my noble king that I want to follow, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyways, so, so the Muddy Fields concept are that there's these different muddy fields. And so you imagine a whole countryside and that would represent all of them. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is is we can categorize them and there's four types of muddy fields. Okay. And I just keep it simple. I think maybe one day I'll come up with names for these, but type four, type three, type two, and type one. You know, pretty creative. Yep. So a type four muddy field are those muddy fields that you've never stepped in, so you've never been tempted by it and thus have never sinned in that. Mm-hmm. So there are certain prohibitions that we're not supposed to do or, or um, certain commandments, you know, because again, sin is, is either not doing the commandment he tells you to do yeah. or do doing the prohibition he tells you not to do, right, et cetera. But anyways, there'll be certain sins in life, these these buckets or these muddy fields, that they're just a non-issue for you. Yeah. You've never, you, it's never appealed to you. It's not pleasing to you in any way. Mm-hmm. And since it's not pleasing to you in any way, you're like, wow, why do people do that? Like, yeah. why, like, you know, I mean, I think I got, you know, obviously friends and family that never touched a drug in their life and wouldn't even think about touching a drug. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard for them to contemplate that I did, you know, marijuana and ecstasy and, and cocaine. Um, and cause it wasn't pleasing to them, but it was to me. Yeah. And so, so, so a type four muddy field are, are those sins that are just a non-issue for you that you don't, you don't really ever deal with type three muddy fields are those uh, sins that occasionally you're tempted by. Mm-hmm. So occasionally you step into that field, and then when you do step in, maybe you resist it and step back out. Yeah. Maybe you fall you know, and, and give into it. It's just not a regular part of your life. Maybe mm-hmm. there's certain seasons or certain people you hang out with can trigger those temptations, et cetera. Sure. A type two uh, muddy field are those sins that you used to struggle with all the time that were overbearing for you, and then God gave you victory over it, hmm. either instantaneously, so at salvation or a charismatic prayer meeting or whatever. Yeah. God gave you the victory, and you walked away from that temptation, and it was just it now became a non-issue for you. Mm-hmm. Um, used to do it, now it's, it's, I don't. I'm not, not ever tempted by it again. So it could be an instant thing. Could be over time, yeah. maybe through um, counseling or iron sharpening iron or multiple prayer meetings or whatever. Sure. Um, God gives you that victory, and so it's no longer a temptation mm-hmm. for you. You hear this in and a lot of testimonies, right? Then we get to type one muddy fields, and this is what I'm really focused on in rekindling and, and in know thyself. Type one muddy fields, so how this goes, I'm gonna role play a little conversation with, with God. So, all right, God, listen, I have been begging you for years now to help me get a victory over this sin. So so the, these type ones are those sins that are continually a problem and you haven't had victory over them. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, God, I've been begging you to give me victory. Really don't know why you haven't. So this is really on you, not me. You know, <laughs> yeah. I've asked for the deliverance and you haven't given it mm-hmm. to me. Um, and, and I, but I'm going to ask one more time. I'm really confused, kind of frustrated. Please, just give me the freaking victory over this sin, yeah. right? And Jesus is standing there and he goes, you know, I could, but I'm not going to. Here's what I'm going to do instead. 
I'm going to have you walk in this type one f- field to the day you die. You are always going to have this struggle with this temptation. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. Because one thing is, is I, I, I hate sin, but temptation is a whole different thing. And so my goal, you know, I don't want you sitting there saying, well, I might as well just roll around. You know, if I'm going to be in this field yeah. to the day I die, I might as well roll around like a pig, you know, swine in the mud. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus says, listen, I'm not condoning. I'm not saying you're not going to have victory over, so go ahead and keep doing it. But I'm not going to remove the temptation. I'm going I'm to allow the struggle to continue, and I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to teach you how to stand um, strong and walk well yeah. in the field. I'm going to teach you how to see the triggers that are just under that layer of mud, those trip wires, et cetera, mm-hmm. how to avoid them and step over them, and how to avoid the potholes. I'm going to teach you how you can be tempted and resist it, just what you were saying just a minute ago, yeah. right? Um, and I also want you to know that when you do sin and you do fall, because it's going to happen because this is your type one, mm-hmm. um, that one, I've already paid for it. Mm-hmm. It's already atoned for. So I'm just going to pick you back up. I'm going to brush you off. I'm going to hug you. I'm going to kiss you. I love hugging and kissing. And I'm going to encourage you. And we're going to talk about why you fell. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to blow it off and ignore it. I'm going to, yeah. we're going to address it. But what, what trip wire did you trip over? What pothole did you fall in? Why did you do that? And, 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 it, and we'll figure it out. And what should you have done? Yeah. We'll figure that out. And what should you do the next time? What lesson was learned? We'll figure that out. And so over time, you will begin to fall less. Every time you do fall, you're covered. Um, and it, it, I, I saw a quote once talked about, it's not about how many times you fail. It's about how many times you get back up, hmm. you know, kind of deal. Yeah. Um, so anyways, th- so Jesus says, so that's what we're going to do. And so your response is, oh, that's a lot of work. Um, <laughs> and that's pretty messy. And I'm going to get judged left and right by my friends and family that are around me. So, you know, I'm going to pass on that one. And I'm just going to reiterate, please make this a type two and give me the victory. And Jesus kind of chuckles and he says, son or daughter, I'm not, I'm not giving you an option. I'm telling you this is the way it is. And I want you to hear me on this. This, this to me is a, a thorn in the flesh type thing. I want you to understand one of the greatest goods that you'll ever experience is if you're passionately, desperately leaning on me. Mm-hmm. That, that intimacy, again, that water walking yeah. we talked about. And so if I have to put you in a field that left to your own vices, you're going to constantly fall down in and be miserable. Um, and so it forces you to realize I need to lean on Jesus. I need to walk in step with the spirit and apply yeah. the details of the Bible to the details of my lives. I need to be doing all these things intentionally, developing this intimacy with my God. Galatians five sixteen says, if you walk in step with the spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Yeah. And second Peter one, or second, yeah, second Peter one says, if you, if you diligently add to your faith, all of these things, mm-hmm. it says you will never stumble. And so there is the possibility of getting to the point where you are always walking well and standing strong in that field, but it's a growth process, and it's you and I leaning on each other, and it's getting other believers to come alongside you and lean on you, as, and all of you lean on each other as mm-hmm. well. Um, th- here's the thing. It serves a very good purpose. Again, I'm not condoning the sin, but I'm totally okay with you being in this muddy field to the day that you die because it's going to ca- not force you, but, but really— um, lead you to leaning on me and leaning on others and it creates more intimacy and more bonding you know you can imagine um well i'll get that in a second so anyways so so what he says is is that temptation serves a very good purpose yeah not the sin but the temptation does does this make sense yeah and i think uh, a verse that i was thinking of um it's somewhere in corinthians i believe but it, it talks about jesus's strength being made perfect in our weakness yes yes and so just that whole idea that we can't actually do 
like be the fullest version of ourselves in and of ourselves. We need to be relying on Christ and using his strength while we're weak. Mm-hmm. And so, so practically speaking, application with all this, what I believe is every single one of us has type four muddy fields, type three muddy fields, type two muddy fields, and type one muddy fields. Yeah. We have a, ho- a whole lot of, of these sins that just aren't a temptation to us, and we just don't wrestle with it in any shape or form. It's mm-hmm. a non-issue. We have other sins that maybe occasionally we're tempted by, maybe occasionally we do. It's not a regular part of our life. Yeah. We have um, those sins that God did give us victory, and we walked away from that field never to walk back in. And again, we're very, very thankful, and those are awesome, right? Mm-hmm. But I also believe every single one of us has two to four type one muddy fields. These things that, that we just need to recognize, we're always going to have this struggle. Yeah. And, and, this, and here's the thing. It's not a bad thing. This is a beautiful thing. And so imagine a, a movie scene where there's a soldier, and, he, and he's a new soldier. He doesn't really know what he's doing, and he's sent on this mission. And the mission includes him having to walk across this long field. The, the, the goal of the mission was on the other side of the field or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and there's this dark, like imagine like, like pitch black, skies and there's this dark storm has has rolled in and it's thundering and it's raining and it's hailing and so it's just it's just pounding mm. the dirt in that field so it's thick with mud and so he begins and he's got a big heavy burden you know this this backpack of supplies and, and what yeah. have you and he begins walking across the field and because the mud is so thick and doesn't really know what he's doing he falls you know and he falls down the field of course it sucks him down right that that that, that Sin begets sin, hmm. um, but then he then he pulls himself back up, and then he keeps going, and then he falls down again, right? And then he gets back up, and of course, as he keeps doing this, he's getting tireder and tireder and tireder, or more tired. Of it, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, what that is. But anyways, um, and so at one point, he just runs out of energy, and when he falls, he just lays there, hmm. and he doesn't have the strength to get up again. And the rain is beating down, the hail's beating down, and the mud is rising, and it's starting to choke him a little bit, and he's going to die. And then there's just something in them. You know, and we, we see this in, the, in these movie scenes. It, it just clicks. No, I'm not going out like this. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to give up, right? And he just, he just pulls himself back, and he only pulls himself up partly, and he's kind of like crawling through the mud now. But he wants to finish his mission, hmm. right? Now imagine this scene is going on, and there's a cutaway to the general and the other soldiers that are over the side of the field. Imagine if the general uh, is watching all this and really just ticked off and annoyed, and he says, you know what, Sni- get a sniper up here and just, just kill him. Just put him out of his misery. He's obviously not going to succeed in the mission. He's wasting our time. He's wasting our resources. He's not going to do any good. Let's just kill him. Right? I mean, a harsh general. Yeah. We have a picture that that doesn't happen. Hmm. What happens is the general sees this, and the general runs Hmm. out into the hail, out into the storm, out into the mud, and he picks that soldier up, and he he puts the soldier's arms around his shoulders and says, let's do this mission together. You know, and and, and the soldier could probably barely see because of the mud and the tears, and he's confused. Why is the general wasting his time with me or this little private, you know, whatever? Um, But he looks up, and they just start working together. And and this general, of course, won't fall. And this general, you know, you can imagine like, like the Gandalf scene, in the third Lord of the Rings where he's just in this all white armor. Hmm. And, and you can imagine like his lieutenant's like, oh, General, don't go out in the mud. You're going to get all dirty. But he runs out there and the mud's just bouncing off him. And his, and his armor just continues to shine in all of his white grandeur, you know. And so he, he picks this, this soldier up and he, and he shoulders that burden and they begin walking. And, and, he, and, the, and the soldier keeps stumbling, but he's got this, this general to lean on. Yeah. And then some of the other soldiers, they see this and they get moved by this. And so they run out into the field and they pick up his other arm and they shoulder, you know. 
and they begin walking through this field together. And of course, the mud is still deep and the storms are still mm-hmm. rough. And so then they're falling down. They're kind of pulling each other down, but then they keep pulling each other back up. And the general's there right there with them and they don't give up and it's messy and it's time consuming and it takes their entire life to get there. Yeah. But by the end, they've gone through that field and they've gotten to the other side, you know, and, and they, they've succeeded in the mission. One of the fascinating things, like imagine this is a movie scene, when they look back, they don't count how many times the soldiers fell. Hmm. What they realized is we didn't give up on each other. Yeah. And we leaned on each other. And we had this general who was right there with us every step of the way. And we're a band of brothers now. Mm-hmm. Look how tight we are. Look how close we are. We, we embraced each other's messiness as we continued on this journey. This is just a phenomenal movie scene, right? Yeah. So I have a second part that I'm going to do in a minute. But just kind of coming back to life practically, what this means for me is we really need to change our approach to sin, especially type ones. Yeah. It starts with ourselves and then it goes to others. So I need to recognize the type ones in my life. And, and, and again, vulnerability, right, from, from the first episode. Mm-hmm. My three, uh, I have three type one muddy fields. The biggest one is, is the pride. And it plays itself out. Or it, it, yeah, it still is. But I've learned to temper it and walk a little more well in that field. But, yeah. but pride plays itself out in control. It plays itself out in impatience, et cetera. Uh, related to that is the imperfection or perfectionism. I used to call it laziness, and I realized laziness wasn't my muddy field. Perfectionism was my, my muddy field, hmm. and that plays well with my pride. And it was subtle, and it was hidden, and I didn't know it was my muddy field for a long time. Yeah. So only in the last year to have really begin wrestling through what does that mean to be this perfectionist, and why is that not a good thing, you know, et cetera. Uh, and then lust is my third one, a very common one, you know, four, four guys. And so, so, the, so I recognize these are my three type one muddy fields. Yeah. And my goal is not to get a complete victory over them so that I never am tempted to control or be impatient or lust or be perfect. My goal is not to defeat those. My goal is to learn how to walk well with my Lord and with others who are wrestling through the same thing. And we're going to fall and we get back up and we fall less and less and less. And so practically speaking, let me give one example of this. Imagine there's a husband and a wife and imagine the husband struggles with lust, pornography, Mm -hmm. and the wife struggles with um, complaint, kind of of a, a bitterness of heart. Sure. We live in a society, oh, you know, maybe it's time to divorce, you know, and, and that kind of thing, especially for Christians and they're not being holy and I have to step away. We have all these excuses that, you know, that we give. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we take this approach. So imagine if the wife looks at the husband and pornography is wrong. It's going to, it harms their attitude towards each other. It harms yeah. their sex life. It harms the, the bedroom. It harms the kitchen. It harms the car. It, it, pornography is not something that you want in your life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but she recognizes this is his type one. This is one of the core struggles, this lust that he has never condoning it, never saying it's okay, but she simply recognizes that it's, it's his type one. And let's say he's got a couple guys in his church, some other fellow brothers, iron sharpening iron, the pastor or whatever. And they also know this is a struggle, a type one struggle his. Mm -hmm. And again, they never condone it, but they recognize it's a type one struggle. You can't just say, Hey man, fix it. Just knock it off. Stop doing it. It's not going to work that way. It's type one. And so all of them, his, his wife and his pastor and his, his other, other believers and yeah. Christ himself all come together and they, and they say, lean on us, lean on us as you go through this. And we're not condoning it. Mm-hmm. We're not saying that's okay to go do this. Well, we are, and we're, and we're saying we, we want you to learn how to, to walk well in this temptation and defeat it and resist it mom, moment by moment. Yeah. But we know it's going to be a long-term deal. We know we, we need patience in this, you know, um, and we know that you recognize the wrongness of it. We're all going to walk together. The, the guy's going to feel awkward at first. 
Mm-hmm. But then he's going to come to trust these individuals. And it's, you know, and imagine the wife saying, you hurt me every time that you lust. I mean, you hurt me and you destroy a piece of me, but I'm not giving up on you. You are my husband. I am committed to you. I recognize this as a struggle. And, and what can I do to love you? What can I do to support you? What can I do to help you? You know, in that. And she yeah. doesn't walk away from him. Hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. Right. And, but then in reverse, imagine the wife is, is a constant complainer uh, and, and that bitterness. And it just, it just pours over into everything. And so, and so the kids are just used to, you're supposed to come home and complain about your day. You know, and so he so he comes home and she comes home from work and she's complaining. And this person, this this person, this, and it just it's just bitter and it's just negative, and he can't stand it. And so he just wants to go uh, watch a football game or go mm-hmm. grab a beer with his friends, and he just wants to ignore it and just just try to avoid her in that. Yeah. But instead, he recognizes, you know what? This is my wife's type one. This is a struggle that she's dealing with, mm-hmm. and so it's not right to complain. It's not right to be better, but this is her struggle. And so he comes alongside her, and several women in the church come alongside her, and they're all there to help her learn what is the right approach to this. We don't want to move into the bitterness and complaint. And so, yeah. how do we resist it? What What are the triggers? How do we step over that? How do we walk well, and knowing that she is going to fall uh, as she's slowly learning this? And so he's the husband will be very patient with her, very forgiving with her, and, and he's, honey, what can I do to love you and to encourage and exemplify what? This, this positive approach to life looks like, you know, et cetera. Yeah. This is ridiculously messy. This is ridiculously time-consuming. This is ridiculously uh, uh, difficult. Mm-hmm. But what an incredible picture does it paint. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah, and I think that something, that, that just concept of dealing with sin in community is something that has been lost mm-hmm. um, just in the American church in general. And just we think that we need to fix our lives by ourselves and not in a community of others because everyone else has this facade of perfection. Mm-hmm. And we think that um, we're supposed to have everything together. Everyone else is supposed to have everything together. And right. that's just not true. I remember a rafting trip that I went on in West Virginia. Um, and the guide, th- there was a quieter part of the river after some white water. And he was saying, where's the safest place in this river? You have to be on the river. Where's the safest place? And naturally, we're saying in the boat and he had described these rocks that when you go through it shreds you to be and like be in the boat it's like okay so what happens when someone decides that they're going to well i mean not decides but they, they fall, fall out. out into the river what are you going to do well i mean y- you should help them back in yeah okay how do you guys respond to mm. people's sin um hey hey friend you over there drowning um don't drown it's bad stop <laughs> That's, it's bad for you. If you say out there, you're going to die. Oh, no, no. Hey, no. Psh, hit him with the paddle. Like, no, no, stop. <laughs> negative, stop negative reinforcement. And so we think that that and that's just how we respond. But that can't be how we respond. Mm-hmm. And just going along with the movie that you were describing earlier, um, just the whole idea that if he had to if all we did was stand there and shout from our little megaphone, hey, you, no, no, get back up. Good job. OK, right. keep going. That isn't actually as helpful as coming in community. And then there's also different responses from the movie that you were going to describe. Yeah, so so going back, imagine, you know, it's a beautiful scene, mm-hmm. right? And and mm, there's so much to be said about all of this. And I think yeah. just practically speaking, when I've come to realize that I have these type one muddy fields, these, these temptations that I all, always struggle with, mm-hmm. the goal is not to get that full victory this side of the gates. Yeah. The goal is learn just step by step to walk well and resist it. And we can't go into it now, but it's all about it's not about not doing the sin. It's about establishing the counters that will help you with temperance to the sin. Yeah. So um, what will help with my pride? Humility. 
mm-hmm. trust, you know, et cetera. So my goal is not to reduce the pride in my life because it is a type one. Yeah. The goal is to increase my humility and increase trust, which will help me counter the pride. So much more we could say on that. We'll do that another day. Yeah. Um, but anyways, and so this was life changing to me. And what I found is if, if I'm in that type one muddy field and my whole goal is always to get out, but my God is trying to teach me how to walk well in it, mm-hmm. we're missing each other. And we're not on the same page, and it's just chaos. And this yeah. is why there's that confusion. Why do I keep struggling with this? It's because it's a type one. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's affected the way I treat other people, or it's begun to. So as I get to know these, these people in my life, these close ones, and I learn what their, their type one muddy fields are, my goal is not to you know get, try to get them out of it. My goal is to walk with them, just mm-hmm. like everything you were saying, to pull them back into the boat and to encourage them, you know, et cetera. Yeah. So this is, this is a radical, radical concept, okay? Mm-hmm. So, so coming back to this response to sin, just what you were saying, and, then, and we, we come about it the wrong way. So imagine it's this beautiful movie scene that we can look at and, and we can be inspired by it. Imagine we're playing that scene at a movie theater in three different screenings. And so you've already seen it, you've already wrestled with it, you, you understand it. Yeah. And so now I want you to pay attention to responses to this truth. And so we go to the first um, screening and mm-hmm. I want you just watching the audience. And so, so the scene is playing. You can imagine the score that has been written, you mm-hmm. know, for the scene. There's the majestic music playing and, and you're watching individuals and you see people just getting choked up, right? And you see, yeah. you see the, the, the goosebumps on their arm and you see them whispering, you know, to each other and, and you just hear, I, I want to be this way. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to be like that soldier. I want to be like one of those officers. I want my general, my king, my captain to walk with me, yeah. you know? And so they're getting moved by this and it inspires them. You know, like, oh, this is great. You know, that's, that's how I felt. That was my response. Yeah. Then we go to a second screening and this audience hates the whole concept. So it's like, you know, what's wrong with falling in the mud? Mud's fun, you know? Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he doesn't have to be that soldier. He doesn't have to do what the general says. He doesn't have to go on that mission. Yeah. Um, the mud can create a, a, a cocoon of insul- insulation to keep him from the cold, you know? Um, and so this whole rescuing him and, and helping him stronger to resist the mud, yeah. it's all ridiculous, and, and they, just, they blow it all off. Let him have his fun. Yeah, let him have his fun. Let him do what he wants, you know? Um, and so they don't, they don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is society at times yeah. that you know all this talk of sin there's no sin you be who you're you're made to be you know you do what you want to do um and so you don't have to follow some general you don't have to follow all these rules yeah. you go do whatever you want uh and so they don't understand the, no- the nobility of it all um then you go to the third screening and this screening they keep making fun of the soldier so like every time he falls, they 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 catcall and they, they taunt him, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the they throw they throw popcorn at the screen, you know, idiot, loser, loser, you know, etc. Yeah. And in that part of the scene, when the general comes running out and the other soldiers come running out, the audience boos, mm-hmm. you know, and they're like, no, put him down. He's he's wasting resources. Shoot him. He's useless. He's he's fallen too many times. It's been 77 times that he's fallen, you know, in this scene. That's enough. Yeah. Uh, and so they think it's dumb to rescue that soldier. He's a lost cause. Cut off the excess fat, right? Hmm. That's the church sometimes. Just kind of what you were saying with the, with the boat analogy. Yeah. That we sit there and we watch person, uh, somebody who's struggling with their type 1 sin, and they keep falling, maybe because they're, they're not walking with God yet, and they haven't learned these lessons of how to stand strong and, and, and step over the trip wires. And we sit there, and we, and we start saying things like, you know what, I don't know if they're saved, hmm. because I don't see a lot of fruit. 
you know, or their lost cause. You know, Paul says, warn a divisive man twice and have nothing to do with him. He handed people over to say, that's what we're supposed to do here. There is a time and place for that. We're going to get into that when we do the unpacking on, on biblical correction. Yeah. Um, but it's a very rare, extreme thing. And, and, and so they, they don't get it. And, and I was that way, you know. And so going through my prodigal son stage and, and, then, and then going through know thyself and, and realizing what my type one muddy fields are, all of these things um, come together. And, and, and again, so what, kind of wrapping this whole concept up. Um, and, and, and I might have, you know, blown some people's minds here and their heads just spinning and they don't know how to process through all this. And that's why I always say, you know, email us, uh, contact us, and we yeah. can talk more about it. But what is my goal of all this is... Um, that, that they can sit there and you can recognize what are my type ones hmm. and recognize that I'm always going to have that struggle this side of the gates. Um, and so what can I do to walk with my God and walk with other water walkers, other mature believers and learn how to walk well and resist those triggers and establish the counters to make me stronger so that I can continue on this messy journey. So with all that being said, we're going to move into a time of just some question and answer. And so hopefully we can elaborate on some of the questions that you guys might have. Okay. So the first question is, we talked a couple weeks ago about the whole flight, flight, persevere Mm -hmm. idea. Are we saying that with this idea, you also need to just let sin happen? Yeah. And that's part of the controversy behind this. Mm Mm-hmm. But letting it happen doesn't mean you're condoning it because it keeps coming back to, you know, one of my goals, my goal, my number one goal in life is not to not sin. Yeah. My number one goal in life is to walk with my Jesus, Hmm. you know, and love others. Um, Knowing that that's going to entail my growth and transformation to sin less. And so this is one of the ironies for me. And I know people are going to push back on this, but it's something I believe and I want to tell you, just try it, just test it out, right? Yeah. Um, It's allowing the sin to happen in the moment in this muddy field type approach, yeah, that long-term will reduce the sin. Yeah, so for someone that is saying, okay, maybe there is something to this, practically, how does this actually work? Yeah, so practically speaking, how, how do you work through your own type ones? Yeah. How do you work through the, the uh, type, your, ones of others. Uh, type ones of others? Yeah, many, many, many things on this. Um, you know, this concept is just kind of introducing everything and there's a whole bunch more follow-up that needs to be done. Yeah. But I would say at least three things, going back to what we said with Psalm 51, the humility, wisdom, and joy. And so practically speaking, so, so you always want to start with you, right? Take the planks out of your own eye. And then as you're getting good at this, then you can help others do the same. Yeah. So I'm hoping that as a listener, as you're listening to this, that you can recognize, you know, if, if you're sinning, is this a, a type three? It's not a regular one. Is it a type two that, you know, I just got to keep persevering with the Lord and eventually I get the victory? Or is it a type one? Mm-hmm. And you identify those type one muddy fields in your life. So you, so you identified these are my two or three or four biggest struggles, ongoing struggles that I have. Yeah. I need humility and I need to, to just recognize I have these struggles. I am made of dust, Psalm 103. You know, I am a broken individual in a broken prologue. Mm-hmm. Um, this does fall outside God's parameters. This is detrimental to my well-being and others' well-being. Yeah. You, know, you go back to the, this is pleasing, which is why I do it, but it, it prevents other good and it puts me in a spiral, etc. And you just need to humbly admit and accept that. God seems to be very pleased when people at least admit the sin, even if they mm-hmm. constantly struggle with it. He's less worried about the person who keeps repeating the sin, and he's more worried or concerned with the one who keeps denying it. Right? Yeah. So one thing is just humility. I'm a broken individual, and this is the way my brokenness plays out. 
and it's detrimental to me and to others. Mm-hmm. Second thing is wisdom. So applying the details of the scripture to the details of my life. Uh, and so I need to be getting into scripture. I need to be doing an unpacking on this temptation that I have. Yeah. And what are the counters that I need to to resist this? We'll go back to B do you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I need to use the wisdom of scripture uh, and wisdom of others and other community uh, and, and wisdom on how I can resist it the next time that it comes around. Um, and then the third thing is joy. And th- we talk about this. Joy needs to be one of your responses after you sin. Mm-hmm. You're not being joyful to the sin itself, but you're being joyful because you, if you do not have joy, you're going to, you're going to, well, think about it. It's sin is pleasing, right? Yeah. And so if, if I don't have a lot of joy, I'm going to go to the things that bring me joy, that bring me pleasure. And so you need to have your joy in God and everything that he's doing, that, that fountain of his. Mm-hmm. And so that this is one of the weird ironies of all that sounds contradictory that, that when you catch yourself in sin and you humbly admit it, then you just go to, you know, and you realize that God's already erased it. It's, it's not on your mm-hmm. record anymore, all that. Um, then you you look at the wisdom. How do I need to counter this? And then you keep looking at joy. So Colossians 3 says you set your mind on the things above, not the things of the earth. Yeah. We talked about 2 Corinthians 4. You fix your eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Um, and in the other letter to the Corinthians, that we don't wage wars, the world wages war. And Philippians 4, whatever is good, pure, noble, think on these things. You've talked before about putting your joy in, in Christ. Mm-hmm. It's so funny that we think we're supposed to be in a bad mood because that's the kind of penance we're supposed to put on ourselves when we sin that's just going to keep the cycle going that that joy is very weird Mm -hmm. uh, on the surface but it makes so much sense when you think about it i need more joy in my life because that'll give me the strength i need to resist that next round of temptation yeah and i think another aspect of the whole joy discussion is just the idea that it takes the focus off of us and the sin that we've committed and puts it back on christ Uh, another verse that i like is hebrews 12 1 and 2 that talks about Uh, Just removing the sin and the weight that so easily ensnares us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So just that whole idea of recognizing just where we're at and then also where Christ wants us to be. Yeah. And and I'm going to interject real quick because on that Hebrews 12, there's the discipline passage that the Lord disciplines those he loves. It's something we haven't touched on. We're going to touch on it more later. And I know we're going a little long today, but I do want to go ahead and say this. The word for discipline in the Greek means to train up, hmm. where in English we would use it to punish. We can't. We can use it for dis- different things. Sure. So I think a lot of us, myself included, had grown up thinking that the Lord disciplines those he loves. He will punish you for your sin. No. Hmm. Because Christ took the punishment on the cross, and he's not going to punish the sin twice. Yeah. He's going to punish it once, and that's what Jesus took. So the discipline means train up. And so, again, analogies are very helpful for this. And so the analogy that I give on this one is imagine there's a football team and they lose. And and we have two football teams. One has a healthy coach and one has an unhealthy coach. And so both teams lose one one weekend. Mm -hmm. And so the unhealthy coach is really ticked off that the team lost. He's mad because it made him look bad and that kind of deal. And so all next week, every day at practice, after the practice is done, he makes them do an hour of wind sprints really just as a punishment, just mm-hmm. as a kick to them, kind of that negative reinforcement. Yeah. They hate the wind sprints, and they got to learn if you lose, you get wind sprints. And if you don't like wind sprints, don't lose. And just through sheer willpower uh, and that negative reinforcement, yeah. they'll, they'll win more games. Um, that breeds bad, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. there's bitterness and hate, and people are going to quit the team and, and all that kind of thing. 
So then you go over to the healthy coach. And the, the healthy coach doesn't like that the team lost. Nobody likes to lose, right? And, sure. and, and, we, and the goal still is to win. Mm-hmm. So the healthy coach is like, okay, I, I, you know, I want them to win. I didn't want them to lose. I can't really blame just one player or a couple of them. I have to include myself in this because I'm the coach. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I have the ultimate responsibility on this. And so we all lost on that one. Um, and we want, I want them to win it. I said, why did they lose? Well, in the fourth quarter, they ran out of energy, right? Mm-hmm. Their, their tank was on empty. Uh, they were out of gas. And so the other team kept playing, and we couldn't play, and, and they scored an extra touchdown, and they won. So, so that was the reason why we lost is because we were out of energy, so we need to have more energy. How can I help the team get more energy and keep the gas in yeah. the tank longer? Uh, one thing is lung capacity. So you know we're running up and down the field, uh, and, and we just we 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 um, we run out of energy because because mm-hmm. we've expended it all. So if I build up their lung capacity, um, then I will then then they'll they'll be able to go four full quarters. Yeah. So how can I build up their lung capacity? You know what wind sprints wind sprints. They're sour, right? They suck, but it's going to help. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm going to do is every day after practice, uh, I'm going to have them do an hour of wind sprints. Now I'm going to run with them because I want, I want them to realize it's not a punishment thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to explain this to them. Guys, uh, we ran out of energy, and so we're going to do wind sprints every, every day this week for an hour so we can build our lung capacity so that we can go, go four full quarters the next game, right? Mm-hmm. So what's fascinating to this is both teams lose. Both coaches have their teams do wind sprints uh, every day for practice. Yeah. Two completely different situations, yeah. right? One out of anger and just getting mad and out of punishment. Mm-hmm. The other one out of making them stronger to resist the next loss, yeah. right? And I remember thinking through that and thinking, well, God is perfect. So God wouldn't be the unhealthy coach. God would be the healthy coach. Mm-hmm. So God will make me do wind sprints, but not because he's mad at me, not because it's some punishment for the sin that I just did. He's actually training me up to get stronger so that I can resist the next round of temptation. Hmm. So when he says, I discipline those I love, I train you up. I am going to make you run wind sprints, however that looks in real life. Yeah. Right. Um, I am going to make you run wind sprints after the sin. But please hear me on this. Mm -hmm. It is not because of that sin. Yeah. Because I've already died for it. It's already covered. It's already taken care of. But I don't want you sinning, you know, in in the future. So the wind sprints are actually to build you up. And I'll do it with you, you know, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine the players on that team still don't want to do wind sprints, but they're more likely to actually appreciate the coach. That team is going to be more successful in the long run. Yeah. And so I I really feel this all still ties back into this attitude that we need to have towards sin. And where, you know, those are thinking, well, but discipline, rebuke, and all that kind of thing. That's where that comes in. Yeah. And I think that that perspective is really healthy to have. And it also leads us well into the last question, mm-hmm. which is the sweet and sours of yeah. this whole concept. So this is ridiculously tough, right? Um, one sour is most of us have not been taught this way. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been taught a much different way on, on how to how to approach sin. Uh, depending on your on your background, either to completely condone it and it's no big deal, keep doing what you want, yeah. or boom, 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 you know, uh, slap on the hand. That that legalistic bit, mm-hmm. and um, and so so one of the sours is we don't like to change our mind. Because when we change our mind, we're having to admit that we were thinking wrongly before. Yeah. And so there's a humility required in this. And so some people aren't going to want to think this way simply because they've never thought that way. And they lived their life thinking a different way. And they don't want to have to admit that the way they were living probably wasn't the right way. Hmm. I'm, just, I'm just saying it, right? Yep. So that's one sour is that there's some humility and, and maybe there's a different approach to this. You know, And we see the scripture backing this up, right? Um, another sour is... So there has to be conviction. You, that humility, you have to recognize you're broken. Mm-hmm. You have to recognize that you screw up. 
You know, uh, you can't blow off the mistakes. You don't have to be hypercritical of yourself or self-condemning, but you do need to admit it. And that can be kind of awkward for us sometimes because yeah. we live in a, in a church society and even in a normal society that you're really not supposed to admit your mistakes. Don't let people peek behind the curtain. You know, you mm-hmm. were touching on it earlier. So that's another, another sour. Again, these are good things that are going to make you wince. It's good to change the way you think. It's good to confess your brokenness, yeah. you know, and, and your wretchedness at, uh, at times. Um, what are some of the sweets, man? So I've been on this journey for a couple of years now, just personally. And I think about my abortion and I think about the drug use and I think about my disrespect of my parents and, and, and the selfishness, you know, with my friends and mm-hmm. some of this dark stuff that I've done. I think about, and these were all, of course, most of those are my twenties, but I think about the sin I still do now when I'm controlling or when I'm impatient or when I'm unforgiving or when I'm lustful, you know, or I'm, I'm a perfectionist, I'm judging others and I'm getting mad at them. Um, I don't like it. Yeah. And these last couple of years coming to grips with these things and, and, and wrestling like, wait a minute, is that true? I haven't been taught that, but keep pouring over these passages and keep putting all these pieces of this puzzle together and this picture forming Zach freedom. Hmm. Um, just like, I, I, I don't know how else to say it other than freedom. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm released from my sin. You know, and when Paul says that it is no longer I who sin, but it is <laughs> sin living in me. I recognize that my flesh is going to sin. That's what flesh does. Yeah. But my spirit doesn't have to go along with it. And it's a broken process and it's a messy process, but we're in the prologue and the perfectionism won't come to the to, to heaven, to the other side of the gates. Yeah. And my Lord wants to walk with me. And so that, that movie description is, is ennobling for me, mm. you know? And so, so I, so I feel freedom. I do have more joy. You know, I am very, very quick to forgive myself now. Now, forgiveness can look like condoning, and you kind of blow it off, and you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. But I've gotten to the point, I'm getting better and better at this, that when I sin, I fess up. I just fell outside God's parameters. I just I just did something that was detrimental to my well-being or, or somebody else's well-being. Uh, and I acknowledge that, and then I forgive myself. Hmm. And, and I go back to David in Psalm 51. Lord, I did a terrible, terrible thing. Man, but you are so deeply affectionate of me, and you're not going to leave me can you go ahead and just delete this off my record and we'll just, we just won't remember this anymore and, and make me trustworthy again, make me stronger, give me wisdom, give me joy. Let me bounce. Let me dance naked down the streets. Hmm. And then I'm going to teach others to do the same. And so that's one of the sweets. And and I kind of, what I want to finish up with is, as you're sitting here listening to this, you guys are at a crossroads right now and you can sit there and say, no, this sounds like condoning of sin. Well, you, first of all, maybe you're still not, you haven't drank that Jesus Kool-Aid. I hate all this talk that you're supposed to do this and not supposed to do this and all these rules and all yeah. that kind of thing. Guys, it's about this, like you were saying earlier, it's this relationship with God and there are certain parameters that he's set up in all his wisdom that's just trying to create more benefit to your well-being and others' well-being <laughs> and less detriment. So true. let's just submit to these very good things, these parameters. Um, give it a shot. You'll find, you know, you'll find more freedom and, and more understanding, et cetera. Um, so, so think... Uh, hmm can't wrap a trail on this but maybe come to grips with maybe your understanding of things is distorted just like every human has a distorted view of things myself yeah. included um and so maybe my view is distorted maybe there are parameters i'm supposed to follow maybe i should give this a shot right uh or if you're already a believer but you have kind of grown up in that more hardcore approach to sin you know uh, god is holy and he's wrathful on sin and we must also be wrathful on sin you know scriptures don't teach that but but we convince ourselves that that's the case god is wrathful on sin but we're not supposed to be yeah and um 
and so you're, you're wrestling with this and you're pushing back on it. Like, no, 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 you're going to condone sin. You're just, you're just going to, if you take a lighter approach, more moderate approach to it, you're going to end up sinning more. Okay. Don't believe me then, you know, and keep doing what you've done and see how that works for you. Hmm. I did it for a long time and it didn't change the sin in my life. And I decided to try a different way. You know, they, um, this is kind of bold, but the definition of the idiocy is the, or lunacy, whatever it is, to keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Mm-hmm. I kept taking a legalistic approach to sin, and it didn't change the sin in my life. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to give up on that one. Yeah. So there's going to be others of you that say, all right, let me give this a shot. Let me take this more moderate approach and more patient and, and, and go through all these steps that we've just talked about. Um, let me actually pursue joy in the midst of my sin, you know, and not guilt. Mm-hmm. There's no condemnation for we who are in Christ Jesus. This is biblical. You know, yeah. um, you're going to it's going to take a while because we have the old dog, you know, breaking ha- old habits, uh, learning new tricks. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. It really, really is. So we'll just finish up with that. And. As, go ahead. And if you have questions about that, we want to make sure that you, we honest, this is something both of us are passionate about. That's why we've gone an hour and 11 minutes so far on this. We really do want people to understand that God doesn't hate them for the things that they're doing. Right. And he really does just want to actively pursue a relationship with you. And if you have questions about that, feel free to contact us at info at rekindlingministries.com. Visit the website, rekindlingministries.org. We really do want to just interact with you and help us and help you guys understand some of the things that God's just been teaching the two of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we love you guys. Hang in there. Keep fighting this fight. Uh, keep listening to these lenses and, and testing them out on your own. And uh, we'll, quote, see you guys uh, at the next episode. Sounds good.